Well, this evening I want to, first of all, introduce you uh, to Jude. Uh, Jude's a few years older than me. Uh, she's uh, a doctor. She's been through all the sort of the process of becoming a doctor and becoming uh, specialised in a particular area. She's a surgeon. She's been a surgeon uh, for a number of years, uh, well qualified, uh, competent. Uh, she is married. Jude's married to eight, and uh, they've got um, two uh, youngish children. Uh, Jude's also a Christian, uh, and she's got a, a lively faith, uh, an active faith, uh, along with a family. They're well plugged into their local church, serving it in all sorts uh, of different ways. But this last year has been an absolute gut-wrenching nightmare for Jude. At the start of the year, um, one of her patients died during surgery. And although Jude is absolutely adamant that she's done nothing wrong, there's all kinds of investigations that have gone on, and the finger of blame seems to be uh, squarely pointing her way. She's um, being accused of medical negligence, and is looking like she's going to be struck off. Two months after Jude was suspended from work, uh, Aid was driving their children uh, to see his parents, see their grandparents, uh, when um, came to the back of a, a traffic jam on the motorway. The lorry behind them didn't. Aid survived, but the children didn't. Jude and Aid have just moved into a new rented house. They've had to sell their house before it got repossessed. You go round to talk to them. What do you say to them? What do you say to them? Why not turn to the people you're with? We're not going to feed back on this. What, what would you do? What would you be feeling? What would you say? To them. Take two minutes. We're not going to feed back, so don't worry about you know, the fact that you know, I might pick on your answers or anything. Not going to do that. What are you going to say to Jude and Aid? I don't know what you, things you were thinking of, what things you've been saying. And it's this point at which I need to tell you Jude isn't real. I made Jude up this week. You could breathe a sigh of relief. However, it's, it's, but I did base Jude on a character from the Bible. And it feels, doesn't it, like Jude's story could be real. It has the ring of truth to it, doesn't it? But I based uh, Jude's story on a story from the Bible, the story of Job. I don't know if you've uh, read the book of Job in the Old Testament, whether you're familiar with it, whether you know something of it or nothing of it. But we're going to hear a little introduction to Job and what happened to him. And Brian's going to come and read that to us now. So you want to be grabbing a Bible as uh, Brian comes up to read. Page 509 of our church Bibles brings us to uh, the book of Job and the reading is from uh, chapter 1 verse 6 to chapter 2 verse 10. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands, so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, 
and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were ploughing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked them and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, Another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. This is the word of the Lord. Well, like Jude's story at the start, Job's story is it's extreme in some ways in the depth of pain and suffering that is experienced yet at the same time it seems like job's experience seems to to speak of the painful stories some of us 
maybe are here tonight carrying or know of in other people's lives. What struck me is that the experience of reading Job as a whole book mirrors something of what we experience when we face pain and suffering. Because the pain and suffering, well, it starts suddenly with a bit of a shock. And then there are all kinds of questions that are asked. We encounter people who speak with perhaps a bit too much confidence about knowing what's going on. Sometimes what we say and what we feel isn't easy to make sense of. We get upset and frustrated with God. It's often quite a lengthy process. I mean, the book of Job's long. And at the end of it, we realise there are no easy there are no complete answers, as much as we might like them, as much as we might want them. When it comes to, to God and suffering and questions of why, why there is, there's lots that can be said. There is lots that has been said. But I, th- I think there is one answer, an honest answer, a short answer, an answer I believe is rooted in the Bible, that addresses that question. Why, why does God allow suffering? And pain. And I think it's the answer we should reach for first. It's, it's just three words long. It's very simply, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if any of you said that in your groups uh, earlier on. What were you going to say to Jude and Aid? I don't know. Tonight we're thinking about what, what does it mean to, to walk with God through pain and suffering? As we go along, we're going to skim through this story of Job from the Bible. And along the way, I hope we're going to pick up some some things that will hopefully help us. Even if we don't land with all the answers we want, how we can still be walking with God along the way. Now, I've dipped into lots of Christian books. There are a lot of Christian books on this topic or or that address this topic during this week. Um, And I think pretty much all of them get the I don't know answer in the end. But it's normally where they get to at the end. But I think the I don't know answer is better at the beginning. It's a better place to start. I think it's where Job starts as well. If you've got your Bibles open and and read on to the end of chapter 2, on from where Brian was reading, verses 12 and 13, three of Job's friends turn up. We meet Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They hear about what happens to Job. They, They come and meet with him, to sympathize with him, to comfort him. Verse 12, when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Isn't there a sense of, I don't know, in what happens there? These three friends weep with Job. And they sit in silence with him. And as you read the book of Job, you discover that's the, it's almost the best thing that those three friends do. But I think we as Christians, if you're a Christian here tonight, I, I certainly am. I'm nervous of giving the I don't know answer when somebody asks me about why does God allow pain and suffering. I get nervous because I, I think I'm worried that it sounds like, if I say it, God's being caught out. We've got to give up on God. But I want to encourage us to be much more confident in giving the answer, I don't know, first. 
Because it's that answer that opens up space for grief and to sit in silence. This evening, I don't think I stand here as somebody who's suffered more than anybody else. I think my levels of pain and suffering are probably average. But if you look around, you can, you can find some people whose lives just seem to go from one painful trial to another. When you think nothing more could happen to them, it does. And there are others who, who seem to get off with far, far less. But, but the reality is none of us, none of us here tonight are immune from pain and suffering. You know, I can think of, I can pinpoint certain moments. I remember I'm a youth leader at a church who invested loads into me in my late teenage years, who died suddenly, one night on his church weekend away. No explanation. They have found no explanation to why he died. He was my age, and he left behind his wife and two little children. Why? Nine years ago, Emily and I, we experienced a, a miscarriage when we found the baby that we were delighted to be expecting no longer had a heartbeat and had died. To think back, it'll be three years, three years on Tuesday to a family member who committed suicide. Earlier this summer, Emily's mum died. Pain, we're not immune from pain and suffering. We can never talk about this subject abstractly. In those moments... In those moments of pain and suffering. That my question was why to God. But do you know what? I wasn't particularly interested in the answer. What I was interested in with uh, was, was being able to grieve. And I think that's the first help we get of walking with God through pain and suffering. Is that uh, we need to grieve. The best thing people did in those different times that I've just talked about, even better than the meals being dropped off, even better than cards through the door with the people who came and wept with me and sat in silence with me. Being able to say, I don't know, as an answer to, to why God allows pain and suffering, it doesn't mean giving up on God. But it does give space to grief. And it, it might be that you've heard, maybe, maybe it's the, the distant RE lesson or philosophy lesson, or maybe it's not that, that far away for you. Uh, the, the kind of argument that if there's a God and he's all-powerful, well, he, he would put an end to suffering, right? And, and if he was an all-loving God, well, he would want to put an end to suffering. Suffering exists. The conclusion, therefore, God doesn't exist. Or an all-loving, all-powerful God can't exist. Does that sound familiar from some RE lessons, from philosophy? I don't know what they call it. Is it the trilemma? I don't know what they call it. And it feels like, as, as you're exposed, that sounds clever, doesn't it? And it feels like God shrinks down and, and disappears in a puff of smoke. It sounds really clever, but it's too simple. It's too simple. If there's an all-powerful, all-loving God, the God the Bible describes, then what if God has good reasons in allowing suffering to happen? Reasons that are beyond our understanding, beyond our imagination. You see, not knowing the answer why, well, it didn't lead Job, it didn't lead his friends to give up on God. And as you look back through history, generation after generation after generation after generation of followers of Jesus haven't given up on God. They haven't even thought of giving up on God. 
And I just wonder if we have a lesson, if our generation, our culture has a lesson that we're not going to know everything and we're not going to understand everything. But I also want to say at the same time that the question of suffering is probably the hardest question for any Christian to answer. And that's because the question of pain and suffering is the hardest question to deal with however you view the world. Whether you're viewing it through the lens of another religion, whether you're viewing it through a kind of materialistic, atheistic view. What we have in the Bible, as followers of Jesus, is a God who who does not hide away from the reality of pain and suffering. Just take what we've heard in Job for a moment. It's, It's very real about it, isn't it? And if I'm being brutally honest, I've never found the book of Job easy to read. I don't know if any of you do the kind of reading the Bible through the year and you kind of get to Leviticus and give up. Fine with Leviticus. Job is my downfall. I find it really hard. But the thing I've always appreciated about the book is how honest it is about the reality of pain and suffering. We don't have to pretend that pain and suffering isn't there or isn't that bad. The Bible's honesty about it means we can be honest. Honest with God about our pain and what we're going through. Flick on in your Bibles. Actually, don't you flick on. You should be on the same, that page, 510. Uh, Job chapter 3. Uh, just look what Job says in response to what's happened. Verse 11. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there needs to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? For now I would be lying down in peace, and I would be asleep and at rest. Job says, I wish I died when I was born. That would be better than what I'm going through. That is someone pouring out their heart to God, isn't it? Now your, your pain and suffering might not come close to what Job's gone through, or it might but it still badly hurts. I wonder if you've ever dared in your pain and suffering to speak out to God like that. You ever dared to do it? Because I think this is the second help, walking with God through pain and suffering, is to cry out honestly. God allows us to complain in our pain and our suffering, but we're to complain to him. We're not to give up on him and complain about him. So we might begin with an I don't know answer, but it doesn't mean we haven't got anything else to say. But the moment we go beyond I don't know, and the moment we go beyond the fact that the Bible doesn't hide away from pain and suffering, we need to be particularly careful. Because as we speak, we begin to speak part answers. They're never the full answer. They're never the whole story. And I think we do well to hear what Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. That's not lost on me, standing up here talking about pain and suffering this evening. I'm praying that my tongue will be, uh, bring, would be wise and bring healing rather than be bringing words that are reckless and hurt you more. And the reason I kind of give that warning is I think we often reach for two particular answers to explain why God allows pain and suffering. That are, that are true, but they're only part of the story. They're not the whole story. And if we make them the whole story, they become very damaging. The first is the link between pain and suffering and sin. The entrance of pain and suffering and disease and death into the world is related to the entrance of sin into the world. It's the story of Genesis 3. 
Sin in general, pain and suffering in general, are related. And sometimes specific sin and specific suffering is linked. We do stupid things, stupid things tend to happen to us. We do terrible things, terrible things tend to happen. I mean, that's how Job's three friends thought the whole world was wired. That's what they thought was going on in Job's life, and they bang on about it. Chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter. It's probably why I find Job a hard read. Why don't, why don't we see what one of them says? Chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. So on page 511, uh, this is the friend Eliphaz. This is what he says. Consider this. Who, being innocent, has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plough evil... And those who sow trouble, reap it. Do bad, bad stuff happens to you. Do good, good stuff happens to you. There's a general truth in that. But that isn't always true, is it? Is that always true in your experience? Remember how Job was introduced? Not sinless, but we're told he was blameless and upright. And yet these terrible things have happened to you. Would you use Eliphaz's answer to, to speak into the lives of a couple whose baby has just died? Would you, would you use that as an argument to, to, to explain to somebody who's been sexually abused? Or someone whose whole life has been wiped out by some kind of natural disaster? See, here's help number three for us this evening, walking with God through pain and suffering Here it is. It might not be your fault. It might not be your fault. It's likely not to be your fault. Our pain and suffering might be related to other people's sin. Because we know our sin is involved in hurting others. But lots of the time, we can't join the dots and go, well, this particular thing is happening to me or to this person in this particular way at this particular time because they did that or they didn't do that. The second explanation that we often reach for, which has truth in it, but it's not the whole story, and if we make it the whole story, it's damaging, is that God uses our pain and suffering to teach us and to grow us as followers of Jesus. After Job's back and forth for many chapters with his three friends, we get to chapter 33. So we're jumping, jumping ahead now at page 534. And we meet another character who turns up called Elihi. And he seems to see God speaking through pain and suffering. And I'm actually flicking this on, sorry, I've given the wrong page. Chapter 36, so another page on. And this is what he says if you have a look at verses 15 and 16. But those who suffer, God delivers in their suffering. He speaks to them in their affliction. He is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place, free from restriction, to the comfort of your table laden with choice food. God's speaking. He's teaching you, Job. He's growing you. But remember how Job was introduced. 
We're told he's someone who feared God and shunned evil. He is a mature man of God. Doesn't mean he had no room to grow. But it doesn't explain the level of pain and suffering he goes through, does it? What we do discover in pain and suffering, amazingly, is that nothing is ever wasted with God. He is at work even in the worst of our experiences. But just because God can take terrible situations, terrible experiences, and teach us and grow us as followers of Jesus, doesn't explain directly why this bad thing is happening to you or to the person near you in this way at this time. This is help number four that we get this evening. God won't waste anything. God won't waste anything. When you or someone around you experiences pain and suffering, God's not going to waste it. But it's not the whole story. So if pain and suffering and its relationship to sin or how God is at work through it, teaching us and growing us, if there are any part answers, is there anything else we can say? Well, I think from the book of Job there is. And that is that the pain and suffering that looks to us like it would destroy someone's relationship with God seems to become the very thing that God uses to give himself to us and to drive us deeper into him. Because at the end of Job, you get God's reply. It's a fascinating reply. It's a bizarre reply to us. It seems strange. It starts in, um, in, verse 40, in chapter 40. Tell me 40, 38, sorry. Chapter 38. God barrages Job with question after question after question after question about the, how the world is made and how the world works. So we read at the beginning of chapter 38. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimension? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy. We kind of think, this is a strange response from God, isn't it? But I think in this, this, we're seeing that even in the worst pain and suffering, God is saying there is still goodness to the world that I have made. And there is still a wisdom weaved through it. There are still limits and restrictions to all that goes on. God is giving himself to Job and saying, look, I'm a God who is in control. I'm a God who can be trusted, even in your questions of why. And then we get to chapters 40 and 41, which feel like a trip to a strange zoo. God starts describing some strange creatures. Behemoth, Leviathan. In my head come these great pictures of a giant hippo and a giant crocodile. I have no idea if those pictures are even close. And, and lots of people have lots to say about what these might be. And I found a guy called Eric Ortland. He teaches at a Bible college in London. Really helpful here in describing these as two creatures that sort of that are scary super beasts that sum up all evil and wrong 
and chaos. What Job is being shown, what we're being shown is that God understands all that's going on. Somehow he's in control of it all, even when it doesn't feel like it to us. And one day he's got the ability to defeat this, defeat these creatures and destroy them. God's response isn't to shut Job down. It isn't to sit him down and explain everything. God's response to Job is to open himself up to him so that Job might be driven deeper into God. And I think that's our final help, walking with God in pain and suffering. God opens himself up to us. I suspect around the room there'll be a number of stories of people who've gone through some really tough stuff. Their faith in Jesus, their walk with God is deeper for it. And what we see in the story of Job, what we see in Job himself, if you like, is an outline that gets coloured in when we come to Jesus. In Jesus, we have the truly innocent one who suffers. The creator becomes created. And we find him weeping, grieving at the side of his friend's grave. He knows your heartaches. He knows your hurt. He's the one who cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here's us when we cry out. Jesus is the one who, when his friends told him of terrible events that happened, he told them to turn away from sin. Jesus, who tells us we will have trouble as his followers, but promises never to leave us. Jesus, the one who suffered and died, but in doing so dealt with our sin, defeated death, and has announced the destruction of all that is evil why does jesus do this he does it for us does it for you does it for me jesus is god opening himself up and inviting us to trust him to trust him with all our pain with all our suffering with all our hurts with all our heartaches let me pray as we close heavenly father we do thank you that you it speaks to us in the Bible, and whilst we would love to have all the answers, to know exactly why things happen the way they do, I pray you'd humble our hearts to realise we don't get that, but we get you. A God who has given himself fully to us in Jesus. I pray for those of us who are wrestling with pain and suffering, whether directly, whether we're supporting others, whether it's from years ago, whether it feels raw and real right now, would you help us to grieve and to cry out to you? Would you liberate us if we're feeling like it's all our fault? Would you help us to recognise when it is? Would we see you at work? But most of all, would we be driven deeper in our relationship and our walk with you? But we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.